This is Kona Bible Church. Thanks for listening. We pray that you will experience God's blessing as you consider Pastor Brian's latest message from his series, Wrestling with God, from the book of Genesis. So with that said, we are in Genesis, and I want you to think back to two weeks ago before the Agape meal, we read Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, uh, the, the first half of it is really kind of what we concentrated on there, and we talked about how God is going to create a faith community. Uh, and so he gave a commission to his people, to well, to, to Abram, who ultimately his people are in Abram's loins, as it were. Uh, and in fact, the Bible even talks about that in some respects, but not just physical loins that people are going to descend from him physically, which they will, but also spiritually they descend from him. And so as we look up here, as these candles kind of burn out or whatever, you, you can think about the amount of people uh, that, that Abraham is responsible for uh, just coming under his lineage of faith. Uh, and we have that great song, Father Abraham, man, son, man, son, man, Father Abraham. And then you do a little dance. No? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So we have that, that, that whole song speaks to our existence with it. And so what I asked you to kind of think about was a, a rosebud and how this promise that was given to him about how he would uh, inherit some land and that he would have many descendants and that he would be a blessing to all the families of the earth, how that was kind of the bud of a rose. And that as you read through scripture, this promise gets elaborated on. In fact, it gets elaborated on immediately in chapter 13. So we'll begin to see some of the details. Really what's happening is that rosebud then is opening up. And all through scripture then we get to see more and more details of this rose and this promise that God has made to his people. Today, what I would uh, invite you to consider is the power of the promise. Uh, And so we will get to that, but we're going to start in in chapter 13. But remember then, after, I think we read the entire chapter 12, after the promise, uh, Abraham does something. He immediately experiences a famine and goes out of the land. Now, he doesn't really, the parameters of the land haven't been defined yet, but he literally goes to Egypt. And we get the first sign of of a key that I'm going to give you to unlock your understanding of the Old Testament. I find so many people uh, don't like to read the Old Testament because, well, it's not practical. I don't understand it. It's it's difficult to, no, I'm going to give you, there's a lot, we need more keys to understand the Old Testament. Uh, But here's a key for you. Or you leave the land, bad things happen, okay? In the Old Testament, think of, about uh, this, this idea. Uh, what, 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 what's the force? No, I can't even think of the force. No, 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 the okay, centripetal force. Think of centripetal force. Is what I, see, I, I'm not a scientist. Why would I remember this stuff? But I, I, I studied it this week. I studied centripetal force Do you know that uh, centrifugal force is really just kind of made up term? It's not even, it's like a, it's like the opposite of centripetal force, but really centrifugal force only exists when centripetal force lessens and eases. Didn't know that, did you? These are things that I learned this week. I watched some YouTube videos, but be that as it may, let's get back to the point. 
the Old Testament acts in a centripetal manner. Meaning, what does centripetal force do? What does it do to objects? Pulls in. It pulls things in. And so think about the Old Testament. God gave this land to Abraham because he wants the nations of the world to experience his power, his presence, and his blessing by, by doing what? By coming into the land. That's why when you, you start to go through the law, you will see that three times a year, the people were supposed to go into Jerusalem. That's why the temple was built there. This centripetal force, the, the power and presence and blessing of God drawing nation, nations in to experience that. Uh, think about his, his commission to, Egypt, uh, to Israel. He said, you, are, you ought to be a kingdom of priests. Now, there was one tribe that was the priestly tribe, but he is saying that to the entire nation of Israel, that as you experience my power, my presence, and my blessing, you ought to be engaging with other nations in a way that they see my relationship with you and want to come in and be in relationship with me. Now, it doesn't mean that the whole world's moving to Israel, but that they engage with the God of Israel. Uh, and where his blessing is. And so well, what we find here in chapter 12 is the very first inclination uh, of, or, or, or glimpse into, whew, if you leave the land, bad things happen. Uh, and so as you read through the Old Testament, unless God, and he rarely does this, unless God specifically says, go out of the land, uh, then you better stay in the land. Come famine or not, you better stay in the land because it's where his power, his presence, and his blessing dwell and manifest themselves for his people. Now, it does not mean that people outside the land can't experience uh, godly relationships. We see this. Abraham's not even a, a Jewish person. He is a Gentile. Uh, and so we have this aspect, but this is what God, how God has chosen to work to draw people in. Chapter 12, Abram goes out, he experiences famine, he goes to Egypt. And, and what happens down in Egypt? He experiences the Babel effect. And I'm going to call it that. The Babel effect is communities created by fear. Okay, There's only one community thus far created by faith, and God's just gotten started. He just gave the promise to Abraham saying, I want to create a community by faith. And it's different than the Babel effect. It's different than communities who create themselves by fear. But when you are a community of faith, you are, are going to find yourself engaging in communities of fear. Think about Israel. Here is the intention of this community to be a community of faith, drawing people in, but they're surrounded by nations that have uh, communities of fear that are established that way. Well, you might ask yourself, well, I don't really care about Israel. Well, you should, because God didn't just give Abram a commission to go into the chaos. He also gave us a commission to go into the, uh, the chaos through his son. Go into all the world, teaching people everything that I have commanded and baptizing them in my name. And so he has invited each one of us on the foundation of his promise to go into the chaos and to create communities of faith. Now, our challenge is that that 
centripetal force has been eased in the New Testament. Because now, all of a sudden, what has God said about his presence, power, and blessing? It's within us. The temple of God is within us. He's everywhere. And so that centripetal force gets lessened. Now we have a going out of God's people where? Into all the world. And so you have this dynamic. Old Testament come in to essentially to the temple in Jerusalem, uh, although it hasn't been built yet. And in the New Testament, go out and be uh, and show, demonstrate God's power, presence, and blessing to all the nations. And and you begin, or you see the continuation of that rose opening up, based on the foundational promise that we see here in Genesis chapter twelve. So. Uh, this is what's kind of going on here. We've got, we've got uh, Abram going out into a community of fear down to Egypt. And when you go out into communities of fear, you always have the potential to be conformed to their image. Right? There's always a communities of fear. Well, let me give you a couple. Okay? Uh, here's a community of fear that I think about. Wall Street. Wall Street is certainly not a community of faith. They are not operating in the principles of, of faith, believing in a God who is able to provide and protect people. No, they are operating in a principle of fear of going, I will provide and I will protect myself. Uh, let me give you another one. The American government or any government, right? They are not operating on the principle of, of faith, saying we believe in a God who is able to provide and protect. Now, we have some language in some of our foundational documents that think or open that door of possibility, but by no means are we a community of faith. No, no, they exist uh, to continue to go, no, here's how we will provide and protect. We just had a $1.2 trillion budget passed. Whew. Infrastructure bill. Sorry, that's just the infrastructure bill. That's not even the budget. That's just the infrastructure bill. Now, that's our nation coming back and saying, this is how we will provide and protect. Now, there may be some good things in there, but it is also foundationally done on an issue, not of fear or faith, but in fear. And so we have these opportunities to go, wait a minute, as I engage, go out into the chaos, I'm going to be engaging in communities of fear. There's another one way more intimate than those two, marriage. Marriage has the opportunity to be a community of fear or it has the opportunity to be a community of faith. And your family, if you're not married, your family has that opportunity. Are you going to respond to the, to the challenges of life by engaging and responding in fear or are you going to come back and go, no, I know, I am confident that there is a God who is able to provide and protect. And he invites me to extend forgiveness to this person, to this person. Right? And without any guarantee that that person is going to forgive back or play by the same set of rules. So you see how these communities of faith get established from the very small, most intimate relationship of marriage to the very big uh, type of things like Wall Street or governments or whether local, state, or, or national. Uh, and so here, Abram, he's going down. He's going into Egypt. They're not playing by the, the faith community rules. 
And so he has, an, he, he has been conformed uh, into their image. Now, we all, not, it's not just an outward force. We also have internal uh, stuff going on because we are corrupted. And so we have a tendency internally to go, the easier way is just to, to, to give in to the fear. And we see Abram giving in to the fear. What does he do? He, he has this hottie for a wife, right? And I mean, she's like, she's old too, okay? Let's not just, you know, mince words. She's old and she's hot. And he goes down into Egypt and he goes, man, I, can you please tell everybody that you're my sister so that they don't kill me in order to marry you? Uh, and, and, you know, she's his half-sister, so there is some truth to the matter. Uh, but he goes in and he conforms to the pattern of a faithless community, a fear-based community. You see how his response is there, driven by that? And when we go our own way, when we go into the chaos and say, I'm going to do it my way, we generate conflict. And so there's all kinds of conflict that happens for him. He gets expelled from Egypt. Now, in that expelling from Egypt, we've got some things to consider about the power of the promise that was given to him in chapter 12. So here we are in chapter 13. I'm going to go back and I'm going to read chapter 13, but that gives you a little bit of the context. That was way faster than me. Thank you. So Abram went up from Egypt into the Negev, he took his wife and all his possessions with him, as well as Lot. Now Abram was very wealthy in livestock, silver, and gold. And he journeyed from place to place and from the Negev as far as Bethel. He returned to the place where he had pitched his tent at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. This was the place where he had first built the altar, and there Abram worshipped the Lord. Now Lot, who was traveling with Abram, also had flocks, herds, and tents. But the land could not support them while they were living side by side, because their possessions were so great they were not able to live alongside one another. So there were quarrels between Abram's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. Now the Canaanites and the Perizzites were living in the land at, the, at that time. Abram said to Lot, Let there be no quarreling between me and you, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself now from me. If you go to the left, then I'll go to the right. But if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw the whole region of the Jordan. He noticed that all of it was well watered before the Lord obliterated Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, all the way to Zoar. Lot chose for himself the whole region of the Jordan and traveled toward the east. So the relatives separated from each other, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, but Lot settled among the cities of the Jordan plain and pitched his tents next to Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were extremely wicked rebels against the Lord. After Lot had departed, the Lord said to Abram, Look, the place where you stand to the north, south, east, and west, I will give you all the land that you see to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone is able to count the dust of the earth, then your descendants also can be counted. Get up and walk throughout the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live by the oaks of Mamre in, in Hebron, and he built an altar to the Lord there. 
Well, as we are uh, going through this, uh, this series here, we are talking about being in this series, this, this, Genesis, and we've titled it Wrestling with God, and there's an awful lot to wrestle with him, and today I want to wrestle with that promise. I hope that we can begin to see the power of the promise, uh, because that promise doesn't just apply to Abraham, it applies to us as well. So when we see and go our own way, not only does Abraham experience conflict when he does it, but we experience conflict as well. And as you begin to examine your life, I, I would hope that you'd be able to have your, your, the pulse of your life and understanding the times that you have experienced some of the conflict that you've had have been times that you've gone off and strayed from the promise of God and ultimately started going your own way. Uh, what is this promise that I'm talking about? Well, the promise of God is to uh, be empowered to go into the chaos because he is able to provide and protect you. Now, again, this is just the bud version of this. It's going to open up into something much more. Ultimately, in just a couple of chapters, we are going to see that his promise is based on the fact that he is a God who is able to raise the dead back to life. Uh, and so we have this, this beauty to be able to kind of go in and go, wait a minute, when I stray, oftentimes it's because I have stopped believing that he's able to provide and protect for me. And I've started to move toward a fear-based situation where I am taking into my own hands how I can provide and protect for me. Uh, think in, in your own life of, of times when you've seen that. And here's what I would invite you to do. Come back to the power of the promise. The first thing that we see is it has the ability to overcome our corruption. And this is good news. Because God's promise is not conditional on some type of action that we do. No, he's just coming down and he's saying, I am creating a community of faith. I'm going to create this community and it's, I'm going to be trustworthy to provide and protect for you. And we, as corrupted individuals, have this, you know, we sing that song, there's language in it, we are prone to wander, right? We have these hearts that are prone to wander and minds that are prone to wander or be conformed into faithless communities uh, that, that represent the fear and go, no, 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 I don't, I can't say, well, we were talking about it today, the the difference between the seen and the unseen. I'm only going to have confidence in the things that I can see, and what I can see is me. And so I'm going to have confidence that I will be able to provide and protect for myself. How can I possibly have any confidence in something that I cannot see? And this is, this is what Abram does. He, he goes in, and he cannot see that God is going to provide and protect for him. So what does he do? He relies on his own manipulations, his own little story, his own little half-truths, so that he is protected and provided for. But all the conflict that comes from that, well, that's what happens when we do those things. But it gives an opportunity when we experience that conflict uh, to see so the, the power of the promise do something. And it has that ability to overcome our corruption. Uh, and it, it also is not dependent on our obedience Right there, we should have like a giant, and this is, I'm not kidding, right here, as like loud. I mean, the power of the promise is not dependent on our obedience. 
That's the worst. I'm talking every single person in here loudly, amen. The, the power of the promise is not dependent on our obedience. Amen. If you do not, I mean, uh, literally, if that's the only thing that you take from today, take it with you. The power of the promise is not dependent on our obedience. You see, the difference uh, that shifts there for you is we have heard the law. We have heard the do's and don'ts all our lives. We know what God expects of us. But the law does not generate freedom for us. No, in fact, it binds us because of that corrupted heart. And so we're in this, this, this pickle, so to speak, right, where we're going, wait a minute, I lean toward knowing and understanding the law, but I can't do it. No, well, what can do it for you? The power of the promise can set you free, right? This bud opens up into Jesus, He's the one that comes and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I am the one that is able to give you freedom, true freedom. It's not on the basis of following or being obedient, which we won't be. It's on the basis of a promise who intimately knows you, knows the number of hairs on your head, knows all your corrupted tendencies, isn't that interesting to think about? You know, like, my wife knows a few of my corrupted tendencies, maybe all of them, but she loves me anyway, and that's nice. But imagine having that type of love from the Father who's... Uh, now, she will still demand from me that I adhere to the law. Like, you can't act like that. Uh, when I was handing out Halloween candy, I'm a jerk when I hand out Halloween candy, because if kids, if, if they show up to my driveway and they look like they're over the age of 13, I will let them have it. Unabashedly, I, it makes me so happy. I have so much fun handing out candy because I am just there giving grief to children. They come up and they're going, oh, drink a drink. Sometimes they don't even say that, right? They're not in a costume. They like, didn't shave, you know? And I'm looking at this, and I'm like, I'm like, this is your last year, right? That's my typical opening line. This is your last year, right? And they look at, they, they're like caught off guard, first of all. Like, you're not operating the way that you should be operating. I'm here for the candy. And then they kind of get it, and they're like, ah, no, probably not. And I'm like, at this house it will be. Did I? I mean, yeah. I mean, literally, I, I'm kind of a jerk, and I love it. It's like, it's like the East Coast is coming. Rebecca is over. She's sitting there. She's shaking her head. She says, uh-uh, uh-uh, you can't be like that. You're not allowed to say that. That's mean. You're, I can't be around you if you're going to be like this. She went inside. She didn't see the humor. Look how they're laughing. She didn't see the humor in it. It's fun for me to be, do those kind of things, but it's not kind. No, God comes down. The, the law is not going to generate. Like her saying no to me almost made me more resolute, like I'm going to do it more. I did try to soften it a little bit, but don't send your kids. If they get over 13, don't send them to my house. I'm just kind of kidding. I mean, I, I, 
I actually want them to come because it's fun for me. I just like to give a little grief. Come on. Grow up a little bit. Take a joke. Uh, anyhow, uh, you think about that. The law doesn't do it. No, the promise comes back. And, and, and so the reality is, uh, I think her strategy, I'm going give, to give away the strategy. It's going to kill my whole fund next year. But she could have she come to me and she could have said, isn't it nice when you were young uh, that people gave out free candy to you? Wouldn't that be, isn't that nice? And she could have come back and she, she could have appealed to my, to how I experienced grace and then I would have been guilted into doing the right thing, probably. But you see, it's the nature, and that's a silly illustration, but it's the power of the promise is what changes us, not the law, not the law. And so when we think about this, the power of the promise is, it's, it, it's a beautiful thing that our obedience is not dependent on it. And when we think about the, the ramifications of that, if you know yourself well, you know how disobedient you are. And so if you know yourself well and how disobedient you are, aren't you grateful that a promise has been given to you to go into the chaos and to, to take the gospel into this chaos and to be a blessing to others and it's not dependent on your obedience? Well, that's really good news. Now, there's some danger with that, right? We, we think about grace being abused. So what are you saying? That you can just go and be disobedient and the blessing is still going to happen? Well, the promise indicates, yes, that there is this aspect of it. It's not based on, on your obedience. But look what happens to Abram in these passages. In 12, he comes away. He's expelled from Egypt after creating all that conflict. And what does he do? He goes back to God. He goes back. He, he, think about that. When your own way hasn't worked and your worldview is kind of crumbling around you because you thought for sure that you could go into the chaos and be a blessing to others doing it your way, and when it doesn't work, your worldview is crumbling around you, what do you do? You have the opportunity to go back to God, and this is exactly what he does. He returns to the first place that he worshiped the Lord in Bethel. And that's the beautiful thing about the power of the promise is it redirects us back to God. If we actually believe that it's true, then some there are times that we try things our own way and then we go, oh, that didn't work. I need to go back to God and figure something out. Something didn't work. And this is what Abram does. He goes back to God and he worships God in Bethel. And what does God do? He re-inaugurates the promise and expands it. Right? God doesn't, just, doesn't, God doesn't go, uh-huh, I told you so. You should have never gone down to Egypt. That was very foolish. You should have never lied about your wife. You're a very poor person of faith. No, he doesn't lay on the guilt. What does he do? He reiterates the promise. So in those moments of conflict, when you have tried things your own way and it didn't work, come back to God and come back to the promises of God. Because what's going to happen is that he's going to align you to his way. And this is the beautiful thing about his promise. The power of the promise brings you back to him and it aligns you to his way, not your way. And we get to see it in action. Because that's what the rest of chapter 13 is. He goes back to God. He's redirected back to him and he goes, I, I just don't understand, God, what happened? God reiterates the promise to him, 
And then he, he's got this situation with Lot, and where, where, you know, they have some, a little bit of turmoil between the two of them. The, the, the herdsmen are arguing. They're like, well, we're getting too big. We can't be in the same area. Look out and, and figure out which way you want to go. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. Do you see what Abram's not doing? He's not conniving or manipulating the situation to his advantage, which there was a definite advantage on the scene. Not on the unseen, but on the scene, there was definitely an advantage because you could tell, well, I mean, given the option between beans and meat, I'm going meat. Like, that's the scene. I'm, I'm not going beans. That's ridiculous. I'm going meat. God bless your friend. Beans only. I would be, I'd wither up and die probably if that happened to me. So here he is. They're given the option, and Lot obviously in the he chooses the scene. And what what do you see? Abram doing? Not manipulating anything. He's learned this lesson, having had this engagement, having overcome the corruption, not having this power of the promise, not dependent on his obedience or disobedience. It redirected him. The conflict redirected him to go back to God, to align with His way, and go. I believe in a God who is able to provide and protect me regardless. Now, this is good news for us because we too can be invited into the same thing, that even in our moments of disobedience, when we experience that conflict, when we come back to him and have our will aligned to his way, what's going to happen is our faith is going to increase in a God who is able to provide and protect for us. You think about the, the, the different examples that we use. I mean, think about your marriages. You have an opportunity in your marriage to respond in fear, not trusting, or, or trusting in your own way. Think about all the different ways that we have as spouses, you know, to manipulate the outcome. Oh, please. You know you do this you know how to get what you want in your relationship. And then, when you do it your way, conflict is the result. Folks, this is, I mean, it, it, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to be a marriage counselor. It takes a person of faith to be a marriage counselor, to be able to pinpoint the corrupted tendencies of our hearts how we are sitting there liable to move into fear at every turn instead of in faith. So is your dependence on, in your marriage, in that community, is your dependence on yourself? Or are you coming back and you're going, I have a trust in a God who is willing to provide and protect for me regardless of this other person? So I am not going to try to manipulate the situation. I'm not going to try to coerce my own will. I'm going to trust his will. And if it means that I have to forgive before they even know that they've wronged me, I'm going to forgive. Not knowing the outcome, I am going to step into faith because I know he's ultimately able to provide and protect for me. This is the challenge in, 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 this, in, in that small community, and, and it's an appeal not just to us individually, but to us 
corporately as well. So believe me, there's, there's a thousand different examples that we can use of communities. Our church is one. Our, in the church, is your engagement going to be operated in fear or is it going to be operated in faith? I think of, of the testimony time, right? There's so much opportunity for fear to drive the show as opposed to coming back and saying, no, I'm going to respond in faith because I know that God's able to provide and protect me. That my story is a part of our story. And because it is our story, they need to hear my story. So in faith, I'm going to stand up and exalt the Lord. As we think about financial issues, as we think about uh, our retirement or our jobs, there's a thousand different ways that we can apply this message because fear is around us all the time. Parenting. Fear is around us all the time with parenting. Our engagement with our neighbors, our family, our friends, our coworkers, it's around us. And so are we going to learn like Abraham did uh, to go in and say, you know what? Ultimately, I have a confidence that there's a God who's willing to provide and protect me if I simply take this step of faith. Or are you going to respond in the flesh and in fear? It's a challenge that we have regularly. So here's my prayer for us. Father, as Bob prayed, will you pour out your Holy Spirit on us to remind us in those moments that there is power in your promise to love us, to provide, and to protect us. There's no one who knows us more intimately. Father, that, that we can depend on your promise instead of our obedience, which is faulty anyway. Your promise is a guarantee. Take it to eternity. Take us to eternity. And on the basis of that promise, Father, may we have the strength then to be directed to you and align with your will so that we can take these steps into creating a community of faith, both individually in our lives, corporately in our marriages and in our churches, and then in the community. Father, we're going to need your help, so it's a good thing that your promise includes sending your spirit to help us. Father, we invite him to continue the work. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>